0: You are listening to This Is Us Podcast, Season 1, Episode 10, with Joanne Philomena, the author of Widowed, also the host and producer of Weight Coach Podcast and Widowcast Podcast. All of these brought to you by Joanne the Life Coach Podcast Network. A short note for all of you, I am looking in iTunes and it seems that episode six completely escaped the upload. So I will be re-pulling that podcast with Rachel and I, and I will have it uploaded shortly after this one. Welcome back listeners. This is Joanne and this is Rachel. Hey, so good. We are finally here to do this episode. I promise you we we even tried before now to do this episode.
1: (laughs) Totally did. I I was at a hotel. We were hoping that the hotel internet was going to be able to get this done for us and nope.
0: Yeah, no, (laughs) no. The sound quality would have been horrendous. So we had to just kind of kill that and between Rachel and I we've both been one of us home the other one on the road and then when the other one would get home the other one would be on the road so we are finally both in our studios could connect and finally get this done um i think it's cool to do it this far after this mid-season finale because everybody's like going through withdrawal right now
1: oh totally i saw somebody yeah. posting in the in the facebook group today just being like, what was was why wasn't there an episode this week?
0: <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. Did I somehow miss it?
1: Like, no, nope, there wasn't an episode.
0: Yeah, right, right. So at least we can give everybody something to listen to as we rehash that episode, kind of walk through it. Um, yeah, it's been great. I tried to watch it a third time through, but I couldn't get through it in time. Because my uh, DVR only held the episode for just so long, uh. and it actually cycled right off of my <laughs> recording, so it was gone. And then I was like, "Oh no!" Because if I watch it at on the NBC app, you have to watch the commercials. You can't fast forward.
1: Oh uh, yeah, so, I mean, so, I watch it on Hulu. You do have to watch commercials, but mm-hmm. I have I have ad blocker on. So like, what happens when I watch it is just like the commercials. The commercial time elapses, but it's just a black screen telling me they can't play the act.
0: Right, right. (laughs) It's like
1: twiddle my thumbs. Yeah, just kind
0: of the same. It's kind of the same. (laughs) Right. And what I was hoping to do on the third time through is I just wanted to fast forward and hit a few sections to take another listen to them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. but I did get to watch it twice through, and on the second time through, I caught a couple things, which we'll address. We'll address when we get there. Okay, this is Season 1, Episode 10, Last Christmas, directed by Helen Hunt. Enough said about that, hmm. right? Yep. Helen Helen Hunt is awesome. I was so surprised that she would be directing. I had no idea that she was directing until this. Uh, the writer is Donald Todd. And the series will return again on January 10th with episode 11 called The Right Thing to Do. So hopefully listening to this helps stretch out through your holiday season until we get to January 10th for the return of the rest of season one. It opens with the family Christmas tree. And we see an ornament that says 1989 kind of puts us at a place in time. Mm-hmm. And they're decorating and the boys are kind of fighting back and forth. Clearly it's Christmas Eve. They're opening up their cards. Randall has some money, maybe from grandma, maybe both all the kids get money from grandma and their cards. And Kate is saying, mommy, my tummy hurts. And Rebecca says, I saw that open package of cookies in the kitchen that were supposed to be for Santa's stomach, not yours. Mm. I know. Hmm. <laughs> I know. She, she just assumes that Kate is having her stomach hurt because she got into cookies.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, that I You could see where the resentment is built up, not just like totally unwarranted on mm-hmm. Kate's part. And, and like, I, like, I totally can see it from both sides though. Like I'm sure Rebecca is so frustrated really from a place of wanting to help her. Um, right but, uh, yeah, that was probably not the right assumption to make.
0: Probably not. But I, you know, I couldn't help thinking if Kevin was saying his stomach hurt and she knew he had gotten into the cookie, she may have said the same thing and thought the same thing. He just has a tummy ache because he got into Santa's cookies.
1: That's fair, although it didn't seem to me like it was totally clear who ate the cookies. Like, it was probably her, but, like,
0: I don't know. Oh, you're right. You're right, so that Rebecca saw the open package of cookies and made that assumption. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. The boys are... um, Again, still fighting with money. I think it's hilarious that Randall tells Kevin that you're just going to, you know, live in a cardboard box or something like that because he spends all his money and Randall saves all his money. Mm -hmm. Um, And Rebecca is asking them, you guys do know what Christmas is about, that it's not about presents and money. And Kevin says, yeah, it's about Jesus stuff. And she says, Jesus stuff. Uh, Okay, we're not caroling. We're going to church. Turns out that Kate, again, to complaining of her stomach, is actually burning up. Jack is the one that actually walks over to her and puts a hand on her forehead and discovers that she's running a fever. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. At that point, we shift right to the hospital, and Kate's being wheeled into the OR. Yeah. To have her appendix out. Yep. Rebecca gets her a sprig of green. From the trimmings around the desks there in the, in the hospital and tells her the green twig has Christmas magic, and that nothing bad can happen on Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. I think it was so sweet that they all t- kind of reassured Kate and then they took Kate away on the gurney and you realize Kevin is still hanging on to the gurney as she's being wheeled in. I know and they're looking into each other's eyes it was such a twin moment it was it was he had such huge empathy you know and they had to go get him back off the gurney
1: yeah it was just so that you could see that if anything happened to her he like his whole world would just like be shattered
0: yeah Yeah, like they're already at that age so super connected. I mean, we knew that from the premiere, just seeing how much they, as adults, they depend on each other. Right. But this episode, I think, really brought it to mind, at least for me, that they absolutely have that triplet-twin connection, the connection siblings have who were in the womb together. Yeah. And it also made me feel a little bad for Randall because they're not going to have the same kind of connection with him. I mean, he's their brother. They were all raised together. But their connection is almost on a psychic level.
1: Yeah, I I, I agree. It both sort of underscored how um, tight and how intrinsic their connection is and also mm-hmm. shows Randall is just kind of floating around on the outside. He's never really
0: going to have that with them. Right, right. So Rebecca hears Dr. K's voice in the hospital, and she turns around and she sees he's in a hospital bed. He was rushing to the airport and apparently hit a lamppost with his car. And she tells him about Kate. Uh, You know, this is the reason she's there is Kate's appendix has to come out. Mm -hmm. Um, but she's really concerned more about Dr. K being all alone. Right. Clearly clearly, there's no one there with him. His family is in Montana at the cabin where they always get together each year. Mm -hmm. And he said, it doesn't matter by the time there was no way they could get back here in time to say goodbye. Mm -hmm. And Becca's a little stunned, you know, at his morbid view of his surgery. Right. Maybe he
1: had a good reason from a medical standpoint.
0: Well, he did. He explained to her what was going on. Right. It was all internal and his odds at his age were not good for that surgery. Right. Um, but
1: I think, I think too, like, I th- that's part of why it was so shocking is because he kind of looked very normal sitting up there in the bed.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And um, we also see Rebecca and Jack telling Randall that Dr. K was the one responsible for his being part of their family. Mm-hmm. And that they were going to be Dr. K's family that night. Yeah. You know, um, I loved it when they were in the room and Jack was trying to reassure Dr. K and <laughs> Dr. K was like, if you're waxing about the circle of life, just take me now, you know? Right. Um, and Jack tells him, you're, you're going to be all right. You're going to do fine. And he says, Jack, I'm very excited that you became a doctor in the years since we talked. Right. <laughs> so, um, and Rebecca asked him if he's scared. And he says, no, I'm curious. Yeah, you know, curious about dying in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. And he remembers, he talks about remembering the first time he saw the Grand Canyon and that it had been pretty hyped. Like, everybody talks about how breathtaking the Grand Canyon is. So, you know how it is when something is so built up and then you finally see it and you're like, yeah, that. But he said when he walked up to the edge of the Grand Canyon, it didn't disappoint. Yeah. And he feels like the afterlife is going to be the same way. Everybody talks up the afterlife, but he anticipates that when he gets there, it is not going to disappoint him. Right. And, you know, I liked that. I thought, you know, his whole attitude about dying was really, I don't know what the word is for it, but he was just so matter of fact about it, the whole thing.
1: Yeah, well, I think it kind of like um, just followed with his character, I guess, maybe years of um, being a doctor and just having, um, you know, the firsthand experience with the circle of life. Um, maybe gave him that particular perspective that he
0: had. Yeah. That and his beliefs that the afterlife would not disappoint, which means he firmly believes in an afterlife. Right. And I think that makes a difference to anyone who's dying. You know, if you're not sure that you believe that there's something after this or not, then you're going to be scared. Right. For sure. Anyway, we see Randall buying a snow globe. Using some of that money that came in his Christmas card that he was going to save, <laughs> put away for his financial future. Right. And he, he parts with it to buy a snow globe and he goes in to give it to Dr. K. Is he just the sweetest, cutest kid ever? I'm telling you, <laughs> that was like the sweetest thing. You yeah. know, my parents said they would never have gotten me if it weren't for you or something like that and yeah. gives him the snow globe. And, um... Now, this is really telling. I highlighted this on my notes because Dr. K says to him, I just nudged a man in the direction he was already wanting to go. If at some point in your life you can show somebody the kindness your parents have showed you, then that's all the present I'll need. Yeah.
1: I wonder, I wonder if that's going to like circle back and connect to something later.
0: I think it already did. And I was going to go ahead and jump ahead on this because there was so many questions on Facebook about this. Right. The whole scene, um, when they, when Randall and Beth are at the company Christmas party oh, and wow. he goes out on the terrace and one of his coworkers is about to commit suicide he has the uh, the little note there with his wife's name on it. He's taken his watch off and his wedding ring off and set it on top of the note. And he's looking at going over the edge. Right. And Randall basically talks him out of it, talking about, you know, his parents adopting him and what he would have missed out on and and do you want your daughter's last memory of Christmas Eve to be her dad splattered all over 62nd street or whatever it was, he said. Right. And people on Facebook were saying, what did that scene have to do with anything? Yeah, I saw that. Who is this guy? And it was on the second watch through the second time I watched the episode. When I came to Dr. K telling him that, I went, oh, that's what it is. That is the f- full circle moment that Kevin took the time to give, share kindness with this guy and kind of lay it out on the line, tell him about his story about being adop- adopted, his having been left at a fire station and... um making this man realize what it is that he's about to throw away and what he's going to do to his daughter. And in other words, he nudged this man in the direction that he already wanted to go. Right. He thought he wanted to throw himself over the side and end it all. But really what he wanted was to be of use to his family. Right. He felt like he screwed it all up.
1: That makes much more sense than the way that I had read the scene. I kind of saw it as like, mounting evidence that nothing bad ever happens on Christmas Eve. Um, which which maybe it was that too, or maybe it was like sort of a red herring to kind of, um, you know, keep giving us more and more evidence that in, in the world of This Is Us, that that is true.
0: Right, right. Which, you know, that is also evidence. But, you know, I mean, he asked about his daughter and told him, if you love Chloe hard, she'll love you back.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's totally, I think the way that you interpreted it as being like the the thing that whether, you know, Randall remembers the doctor saying that or not, that he's kind of fulfilling that ask that the doctor made of him.
0: Right. Right. That he's, he's passing along that bit of nudging this guy back in the direction that he really wants to be in, mm-hmm. which is being able to love his wife and daughter again, because he feels like he really screwed up the entire relationship. Right. Anyway, then we see Kevin is wandering around the hospital back in 1989, and he's holding his right side over his appendix. Again, we see that sign of that twin sibling empathy. Mm -hmm. And he visits this small nativity scene. You see him reach out and touch the baby Jesus. And he sees a statue of the Virgin Mary next to it, and he sees a menorah lit beside it and he asked the nurse which one works best if he wants to pray and i was just so touched by that Mm -hmm. because it was young kevin thinking outside of himself yeah (laughs) right yeah and um you know it's like he really did know what all this jesus stuff was about because he wants to pray for his sister right then we go to Kevin standing in front of the menorah and the crutch with baby Jesus and all the wise men, and we see him outside of where the play is in Manhattan mm-hmm. in current day. And apparently the play's been canceled right. because, um, what's her name? The one I hate, and I've already banished her name from my mind. Olivia. Olivia. Olivia has quit the play. Right. And he is arguing with the playwright Sloan about this. She is ticked. She's ticked because her play is canceled. She's headed to her family's Hanukkah dinner. Her family didn't think she could ever be successful as a playwright. And now this is like going to just prove them right. Right. She finally
1: got her big break and he kind of ruined it. Right.
0: And then to make matters worse, she told her mom she was dating the manny.
1: I love his response to this. Oh, yeah, we did that in two episodes.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah, we did a couple episodes like that. It's so funny. Yeah. But again, we see the softer side of Kevin because he's supposed to be over, you know, headed over to Randall's house and he has his obligations and all the stuff he's doing, but he kind of gives it up. Yeah. You know, he says, sure, okay, let's go do this. And he goes with her to her family. It's Hanukkah dinner. Yeah.
1: I loved I loved that, that whole little arc, even though it was kind of a minor part of this episode.
0: It was. It was. But it tied in a couple things. First of all, the dinner with Sloane's family and all the awkward family stuff going down right. was just so nope. typical, right? Yeah. So good. It was so good. And, um, at the end of the meal, or I can't even tell, Oh yeah, I guess the end of the meal, they have Sloan do the family reading, um, the story of Hanukkah, right. Again, about the Maccabees going against the King to get the temple back. Right. Kevin is transfixed. He's transfixed that she's so talented. And I mean, you see his face as she's telling the story and he's really taken in. And, you know, I flashed on him being a little kid standing in front of the scene with the baby Jesus and the menorah next to it. Mm -hmm. And it's like there's his Christmas Eve now where he's having Hanukkah dinner and he'll be going for Christmas, you know, kind of spanning through the two different uh, beliefs. Anyway, he is totally taken with how talented Sloan is. And says, we should do the play together. He says, screw the producers. And the family says, Oh, is there something wrong with the play? And he says, I'm sorry. He melts it to her. It's like he lets the cat out of the bag.
1: He is such like a like having a Labrador retriever in the room. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, that's a perfect description, and it is.
1: Totally. Like like he's sort of like is bumbling around, messing everything up, but then he's sort of like so sheepishly sheepishly adorable about it
0: but, yeah, but and then he you know, comes through you know, I mean he's like look I'll put up the the money you should be playing the female lead we have an actress for the play right you know I believe in us don't you believe in us I mean that was really amazing of Kevin to do that and I think his character kind of goes back and forth like that where he's like totally wrapped up in himself but when he looks outside of himself, he like totally steps up,
1: yeah, yeah, for sure,
0: yeah, so I love that, and I can't wait to see where that goes in the story arcs after they come back in january
1: yeah i'm I'm excited to see what's what the fate of the play is going to be after all.
0: Can we assume it's going to be a screaming success?
1: I don't know. That that feels, I mean, maybe, but that feels a little unbelievable. I guess since he's still the Manny, like maybe um, they'll still be able to pull people in. I don't know. I'm still wondering if they're going to try and bring, you know, your your hated Olivia back into the story somehow as well. Oh,
0: that would be awful. Because I could see <laughs> it being a success because of his being the Manny, and then the story gets out in Manhattan, that it's actually the playwright herself is acting the female lead, right? Right, um, but it's almost a little predictable for that to happen. I think they might have to make it crash and burn. Yeah, or they might have to bring Olivia back.
1: I think there's going to have to be some kind of swerve in that plot line. Yeah, so we'll, we'll
0: see. I would like to be nice and happy, but, you know, that's, yeah, that, that's I, me.
1: I, <laughs> um, I have a running joke about myself that I just want to watch shows where nice things happen to nice people and they all get nicer. But, yeah. but, frankly, that doesn't make it very interesting.
0: I know. I know. I just want happy endings. Totally. But then one of my favorite shows is The Walking Dead, and my other favorite show is Game of Thrones. So, so much for my happy endings, right?
1: Not not good choices if you're happy <laughs> I know.
0: So, um, then we get the scene where Kate is in counseling for gastric bypass, right? And Rebecca is there with her. And in my notes, I wrote down why I I did too.
1: That was the first thing I was like, why is Rebecca there? They don't even get along. I know.
0: So I don't know. Maybe they told her she had to bring a responsible family member with her to this was the person who was available. Yeah, she you got, know, or it's like, because if you're going to have surgery like that, you have to prove that there, you're going to have a responsible adult there to bring you home or whatever while you're having surgery. Um, so I'm wondering if that was part of the deal with this, you know, pre-operative counseling session that she had to bring her responsible adult with her. You'd
1: think she would bring anyone else. Though. You'd think she would bring Kevin instead, but...
0: Yeah, but Kevin is in Manhattan doing his stuff. Uh, no, she's. She,
1: uh, I guess he's in Manhattan and they're in PA um, still. But but like it's all close enough. I, and he's been going up and back. To, like like I think I think they there's really no no reason other than for them to play the relationship between Rebecca and Kate for direct. Yeah.
0: but are they in PA? Like I thought yeah. Kate would still be out in LA. No, like no, did she move when Kevin went to Manhattan? She she
1: she didn't, but she's like currently in the story, it seems like since Thanksgiving, she's back on the East Coast.
0: Well, is she going to have and, the gastric bypass done on the East Coast it, instead of at home? It seems like it. Okay. I have so many questions about this scene. <laughs> because Rebecca's there, that just didn't make sense to me that I, Rebecca would be there.
1: Right. So so Re- Rebecca's there. I think like we're supposed to believe that at least through the holiday season From Thanksgiving on that Kate's back and like maybe we're supposed to have just decided that she's back on the East Coast for good because um, we did have that scene in one of the earlier episodes right when she got back where um, Kevin asked her to move out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it could be. Anyway, the counselor is discussing with Kate all the possible side effects and the risk of malnutrition for the rest of her life. And Rebecca is getting really fearful for her. Like Rebecca said, and I thought it was just the surgery itself I had to be scared about. Right. She finds out that Kate used to take Prozac. And as a mom, I mean, I could see how she would feel about that, like, you were taking you were on Prozac and I didn't know this right right and when the counselor asked her about binging and Kate says yes and Rebecca says no both at the same time I know she doesn't binge Kate yes I do binge and her mom says well when you were a kid and Kate said no like last month and, you, again, you see that really kind of shocked and hurt look on Rebecca's face because she realizes how much there is that she was unaware of going on with Kate still.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, like, I, I see this with moms and their daughters a lot, is that there's, like, a tendency to think that they just, like, know without being told what's going on with their daughter. Um mm-hmm. And she's clearly kind of coming into a rude awakening that she actually doesn't know what's been going on with Kate. Like she's very distanced from her at this point in time.
0: Right. Great. Kate has clearly kept the extent of her issues hidden from her mom. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of the disconnect I see in this episode between Kate and Rebecca, I really think it's Kate, right? Kate, is just so pulled back and shut down from her mother that a lot of that shut down is on Kate's part like how could rebecca have known this stuff if kate wasn't really talking to her anyway no i mean
1: that's that's true although not to play devil's advocate too much but there's yeah. probably some reason why kate doesn't feel doesn't feel comfortable, um, telling her that stuff. Cause I know there's a lot of stuff that I don't tell my mom. And, yeah. um, the reason why is because, um, past experience has taught me that telling her, um, can make it worse.
0: Can just, right. The whole situation. Or you're going to have to do a lot of explaining that you don't want to have to do with
1: right, her. Right. And it's just like, yeah. you know what, I'll just manage this on my own and just like, you know, just, just, say nice things to mom so mom will feel good and so that things will stay light when we do talk and all that kind of stuff.
0: Right. We don't have to get into that crap. And clearly, I mean, not that Kate doesn't have any reason to be shut down from her mom, especially when Rebecca, when she was a kid, saw the open Santa cookies and assumed that Kate had eaten them. Right. Right. If there was enough of that going on in her life as well, then yeah, you, you do kind of retreat from that yeah we see them in the car and again communication is still really awkward and stilted between the two of Mm us. and Rebecca finally says did I do this I did didn't I with the food and she says she didn't know if she brought it up too much or what would not be enough to try to help her um she never knew exactly what to say. Mm. Yeah. Right. And I, you know, I, I get that having been a mom, um, especially when my daughter was younger, because I knew how much impact my words would always have on her. Right. And it's like, what do you say? And what do you not say? What's too much and what's not enough? What are the right things to say? And you want so bad to be that perfect parent for them.
1: Yeah. And I think it's just that moment of having to realize that, um, you know, your the entire fate of your child. Like, is it actually in your control? Right. <laughs> this
0: is true. This is true.
1: Um, so like, probably there's nothing that I, I honestly believe there's nothing that Rebecca could have done differently that would have resulted in Kate not having this issue.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's that's the truth. And Kate says she doesn't know, but she wants one person to say she's doing the right thing. Yeah. Which I know that feeling really well. Totally. It's
1: just like um, everyone wants to put their two cents in and, and is, you know, is busy telling the story of how this affects them and all she wants is support.
0: Right. Right. Or people telling you all of the worst possible outcomes for Mm -hmm. you, no matter what it is you're trying to do, whether it's, you know, an elective surgery or starting your own business, or you're going to start dating online and everybody has an opinion about that. Yeah. I I get that. I get that. Mm -hmm. Um, in their car ride, Rebecca reminisces on how scared she was when Kate had her appendix out. And they talked about that, and she kind of reminded her. Kate said, what was it you told me? And she said, I told you nothing bad ever happens on Christmas Eve. And Kate says, I bet I liked that a lot. And that's where all of a sudden you start to see the barriers come down between them a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think this is going to be a developing part of the show is to see um, how and whether Kate and Rebecca can heal their relationship.
0: Right, right. Like I said, you start to see it a little bit in the car with them together, especially when they start reminiscing about when Rebecca had to have, or when Kate had to have her appendix out that Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. Uh, Meanwhile, they're sitting in front of, Rebecca and Miguel's house, and they're still talking about this in the car. And Miguel is out there with, you know, light strings and (laughs) being busy setting up all the decorations. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden he gets the lights and animations going and they both start laughing together in the car. Yeah. Which is so perfect. It gives you that connected, good feeling. And it also made Miguel be really endearing to me. Mm -hmm. At that point in the episode, you know, he's so outside the circle of characters that we've been um, learning about over all these episodes. He's just kind of still on the periphery of all that. But, you know, he is so earnest in everything he does.
1: Yeah, we really haven't seen I've I've seen a lot of people like throwing a lot of shade at his character, but we really (laughs) don't have any evidence for that.
0: I know, I know. And I was going to get into that a little later on this yeah. because I'm seeing a lot of shade not only on his character but on Rebecca too and the yeah. fact that they have, that Miguel and Rebecca have a relationship together Yeah. at this point. And a lot of people are super uncomfortable with that. Um, I'll get into it right now. Yeah. Because yeah, tell us your thoughts. Speaking as a widow, I've been widowed for almost two years now and one of the one of the only people who stepped up for me right after jim died was jim's best friend who happens to live on the opposite coast he's like 3500 miles away right but um about a month and a half maybe two months after jim passed away john was going to have to be out here in new york for something and he told me and that he would come by and, and take me to dinner Which was wonderful because I had just spent six, eight weeks, total grief, totally alone here because my family is all out on the other coast. My daughter flew out for a few days right after Jim died. But, you know, after that, I was kind of on my own here and really kind of going through dark night of the soul with the grief. And John met me at the local French restaurant and we had dinner. And what John gave to me was John was grieving the death of his best friend, truly grieving. Yeah. And the two of us were able to start sharing stories and talking about Jim. Mm-hmm. And that was so wonderful. It's exactly what I needed. Nobody else wants to talk about your dead husband because the idea of mortality freaks people the hell out. Right. Right. And they're afraid to bring his name up to you because they don't want you to cry. Yeah. You're a widow, <laughs> right? Yeah. But John and I sat there having this wonderful leisurely dinner, laughing about old times, you know, yeah, trading stories about Jim. And it was such a comfort. It was such a comfort. And um, after that, he's the one that would occasionally give me a call. know every month or so just kind of checking in saying how are you doing joanne and when your spouse dies one of the things that happens that comes as quite a shock to some women is a lot of your friends just flat disappear Mm -hmm. because they were couples and you were a couple and you were like couple friends right but now you're not a couple anymore and if they see you you're a reminder that they Their spouse could drop dead, too. Yeah. Especially if you're, like, in the same age range and everything, right? Mm -hmm. So most of your friends, even though they may think of you often and be well-meaning and, you know, maybe we should reach out to her because she's widowed, they don't do it. They don't do it. So it was Jim's best friend that kind of kept touch with me. Yeah. And I think...
1: um, you know, we don't really know the story of how they got together, so I for me I would just assume nothing. But I could right. totally see how um, you know, assuming that everything's above board and they didn't get together till after Jack died and I'm assuming mm-hmm. Miguel is divorced. Uh I don't think he's a widower, or maybe that would have come up, but um right. although we don't know that. Um But I think um you know, assuming that everything went that way, it's like, you know, why wouldn't Jack, you know, want to see Rebecca with somebody that he knew
0: and loved? Like, right, I, I just don't understand right. exactly. Exactly, it would make so much sense that she would find comfort with Miguel and vice versa, or that he would want to care for Jack's widow now. Who knows? We may find out <laughs> that. We find out that that started while he was still alive. or Right, or right. That Jack was still alive. He and Rebecca separated. She started seeing Miguel, Miguel after they separated, and then Jack died. Because we know things were tense between them in the 90s. Exactly, exactly. But what I also want to bring up is, even if she and Jack had divorced, right. and she was seeing Miguel at the time that Jack died, does not mean she does not go through grief for Jack. Totally. Completely. People who are divorced from each other, and then their ex dies, they still go through grief. People think not. People think, well, you know, you went through that whole awful divorce. Aren't you glad that he's off the face of the planet? It's like, no, I'm not glad. Excuse me, I'm really hurt. You know?
1: (laughs) So... Yeah. yeah. Well, and he don't. And like Jack's always going to be the father of her children. Right. So. Right. Yeah.
0: So anyway, stop throwing shade on Miguel and Rebecca people till we know exactly what goes on there.
1: Yeah, we, we don't really have yeah. any evidence for that. And I think the whole reason is just because in a way, it's just a response to how much people love Jack and how he's, you know, the favorite character of the show. And also I the fact it. that we're all a little broken up to know that in, in the current part of the show that he's gone.
0: Right. Right. Now we can all get really mad if she cheats on Jack with Miguel and Miguel has Jack bumped off. <laughs> <laughs> then we can go there. Until right.
1: Pissed off about that, but we don't have any reason to believe that's the case at this stage.
0: I think so. I think so. Anyway, okay. Um, William, we go to William and he's at his meeting. I don't know if it's, uh, it's not AA. I can't think of what it's called. If it's for drugs, maybe it's the same. Anyway. NA, Narcotics
1: Anonymous or whatever. Right,
0: right, right. He's at his his meeting and he's talking about the monkey on the street at three thirty in the morning that he mm-hmm. saw and <laughs> made him kind of stop the drugs and tame the wildness from the inside. Yeah. And he said, that's why when a man knocked on my door one day, I was there to open it. And he's really kind of giving credit to everybody there in the meeting for supporting him, that he was able to do that. And that when his son showed up knocking at his door, that he was sober and there to open the door. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, saying tonight, he's going to go back and have Christmas Eve with his son's family. He's so grateful to the group that this is going to happen. Then Jesse introduces himself and talks about where he was a year ago in a good place and had met someone. Now, Again, I have a lot of questions about this scene. (laughs) A lot of questions because... Really throwing a lot of shit at us suddenly. (laughs) A lot, a lot. You know, Jesse says, then that laugh went away. And it turns out that this was William's lover. And William had just flat disappeared from his life without a goodbye when he found his family. And it seems that his previous lover, Jesse, backslid into his old drug habits. Because he didn't know what had happened to... William, but now I have to stop here because first of all, it was my impression when William was talking and thanking everybody there, you know, and talking about seeing the monkey on the street at three 30 AM. I don't think William knew that Jesse was sitting there and back right. until Jesse started speaking. But when Jesse started speaking, there was nothing shown to us in this on camera at that point to make it clear that William was surprised to hear Jesse there. So I don't know. Does William know that Jesse's there at the meeting or does he not know that Jesse's there at the meeting?
1: I don't know. I found that whole scene confusing. I felt like the whole time I was a little bit like, wait, what? No, what? Like, I know, I I I know. Follow it with the continuity of everything we know about William thus far. Like they were trying to introduce a lot very suddenly, like, like, I have questions about, like, in like something like that. Aren't you supposed to go every week? And, like, when has William been going since he's been living with Randall? And I, I just yeah. don't know.
0: <laughs> or William would have been going all along and Jesse not, because Jesse said he f- kind of fell away, right? Right. When, when his lover stopped showing up, he backslid into his old drug habits. Yeah. But the, the other thing was, in this whole scene on meeting Jesse this way, I really hated him. Yeah. I was like, what? What the what? Like, is this the most passive-aggressive thing you've ever seen? Yeah,
1: just, like, blaming him, basically.
0: Yeah, like, and especially if William doesn't know he's there and that he just slid into the back row, because he's, like, way in the back row. Right. And so he starts telling his side of the story and saying, oh, look, maybe there is an animal in this story after all. Yeah, yeah, it, it's just uh I know it. I really, I mean, this was like so passive aggressive and I was just like, really? Of all the ways that they could have introduced his lover, I guess. Yeah. um, Like why that way? I don't know. I know. it. I know it. And then you see them after the meeting, William sits down with Jesse to try to make it right. And at this point I still was not really grasping fully that they were gay lovers. Um, and he says, I'm glad to see you well. And they catch up a bit. Turns out that that's when I really realized that William had left without letting Jesse know he was even leaving. And it turns out because the cancer had spread and he didn't want Jesse to have to deal with that. Wanted to spare him. Right. Right. And Jesse asks if he's dying tonight. <laughs> Are you dying tonight? Are you dying tomorrow? Right. Yeah he says, I loved you and you left. Now I want to spend whatever time you have remaining together. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. Uh- so we, we just had this whole thing like hashed out in front of all these people in the meeting. And then this little reconciliation, like I forgive you for leaving because now I understand you were trying to protect me. You were trying to protect yourself. But look, you're going to die sometime after tomorrow. And I would like to be there with you. Right. Yeah. And I mean, Yeah. And you see that forgiveness. And if they truly loved one another, which is what they would have us believe throughout the story, that storyline in this episode, um, then yes. And it seems we find out later in the episode that really William had not necessarily thought of himself as gay all along. But until he met Jesse and fell in love with this man. Right. And this is what made him discover that he could love across all boundaries of whatever sex you are.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think it's fairly it seems fairly clear to me that he um, that he loved Randall's mother. Right. It wasn't like, you know, they were just together and really he was holding back that he was gay or something like that. So I think we can we can assume that um, that was the case.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And from here is where we see Randall and Beth at that company party that I had already jumped ahead and talked about. Right. And it seems that Randall bought the boat from this guy who is going to throw himself off the building. And Beth thinks he bought the boat because he's depressed. Right. And she tells him to go find Eddie and unbuy the boat. (laughs) Which I think Beth is a little pushy (laughs)
1: sometimes. Yeah, I mean she she is. Um, I mean, like that's it, a very wifely thing to say. I yeah. Like, but um, on the other hand, it does kind of seem like you know Randall's the breadwinner at the moment, and he makes plenty of money. So if he wants a boat, he should have a boat. I don't know.
0: You should have a boat. Randall does say something during the scene though that I that really hits in there because he said something about I just want everything to go back to the way it was before i started stirring things up right you know and i guess he's talking about before he found his dad before he found out his mom knew his dad his biological father all that stuff you know she's talking about all the stress he's been under because of that and that's why he probably bought the boat right and he says i just want everything to go back to the way it was yeah and then it's clear when he goes out and he finds Eddie, Eddie's kind of feeling the same way. Except Eddie feels like his life is never going to go back to the way it was. That he screwed it up by having this affair and now his wife hates him and he just wants to end it all. And I think that's why Randall connects so immediately with that part of Eddie's story. is He understands the wanting to go back to the way things were before you screw it all up. Right. Yeah, I think um, I think
1: that makes sense. And I think, too, um, Randall is kind of having like a um, like this guy is kind of his foil in this scene. Yeah. um, Of like, you know, he's kind of seems to be in a similar sort of um, like like a similar career has like, you know, a wife and I think just one young daughter. But like Randall also has young daughters. So mm-hmm. it's kind of right. like, um, you know, a, a vision of where that line of thinking could ultimately take him.
0: Yeah, yeah. And when Beth comes out, that's when Randall turns around and realizes his friend has walked back inside. At first, he thinks oh he's God. gone over the edge. Oh he runs God. over I and did. says no.
1: I did, too. I totally yeah. oh, my God, he's gone over the edge when they panned over and he wasn't standing there.
0: Right, right. And then Randall turns around and sees the back of his head going back inside the room. Yeah. Um, And oh, by the way, he didn't unbuy the boat. So as far as we know, Randall still has this boat coming. Right. (laughs) I'm sure that will be a point of discussion in the next episode when the boat shows up, right? right? We go back to Beth and Randall's house Christmas Eve. And Kevin and Sloan show up and then Miguel, Kate and Rebecca show up and they do this all pretty fast. And I guess that's kind of how it feels. You get the feeling of Christmas Eve at home and everybody starts showing up all around the same time and everybody has gifts and, you know, the girls look out the window saying, hey, it's Santa. And Santa turns out to be Toby in a red coat and a Santa hat. Right. Yeah. Saying he just spent six hours in a middle seat on Zoom Airline. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, well, and um he
1: really he really makes an entrance like a one of those kind of classic romantic comedy kind of like just like how just like how Kate was talking about when she broke up with him at dinner of like a, mm-hmm. a real like Hugh Grant movie kind of moment.
0: Right. Yeah, and he does. You know, he tells Kate, we're good together. I'm back on the diet, not for you, but for me, but for us too, so we can be together again. Because the one thing I can't live without is you. Yeah. Which is like a Christmas time song, you know, like, baby, it's you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it is such a great scene. Yeah. Um, and they slip off upstairs. Which right. I found that pretty tacky. Like, would you do that at your sister-in-law's? At your brother's house? Would you slip upstairs to a bedroom with your guy? It like, definitely awkward. Yes, yeah, a little awkward. Like, whose bed? A I've lot thought about that. Loud. Like, whose, yeah. whose bed did they use? Right. They certainly should, did not use one of those little girls' rooms. <laughs> uh, um. Uh, there's been a lot
1: of speculation that this is to lay down a plot point
0: for later. I know, I know. I disagree. But that's okay. Oh, but that would be I think it would be a good plot point. But that would sure throw a monkey wrench into a lot of stuff. Now I'm talking like I'm vague booking. Right. Because there's listeners out there that haven't been reading this stuff in the Facebook group. They have no idea what we're talking about. Right. So I'll just say it.
1: It's total say speculation. It. But the speculation is going to be that we're supposed to have gotten from that, that Kate is going to be pregnant. And right. I see why, too, because it's almost like it's almost like a, a little like callback to how she was conceived. Like, sort of very, like, in the moment right after a reconciliation. Um, Yeah, yeah. So
0: I can see why people are thinking that's what... They're going to say Kate comes up pregnant. Right. Which, you realize, totally throws a spanner in the works for her having the gastric bypass surgery. That's not going to happen if she's pregnant.
1: I honestly believe that she is not, even if she's not pregnant, that she's not going
0: to have gastric bypass God, I hope Toby talks some sense into her if he survives. <laughs> Somebody has to. Yeah. Anyway, think... we're jumping too far ahead. Right. We see Kevin explaining the birth of Christ to Sloan, which I loved that. <laughs> William shows up with Jesse. And uh, this is such a scene. Now, I don't know that it would really go down like this in reality, But Randall is questioning this whole thing and really confused about Jesse showing up with William. And his little girl breaks it down because she said it's like a friend at school with two dads or something like that. And he looks at his daughter kind of stunned and she says, hey, grandpa's either gay or at least bi and she walks off <laughs> she just breaks it right down for him as randall looks on in total disbelief probably disbelief one that his daughter his little girl just came up with this right. and two that she's right his biological dad is clearly in a relationship with this guy yeah
1: and i love i love how like she's clearly like of a generation Where she's just like, duh.
0: Yeah, it's like, matter of fact, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, come on, you get to see, Grandpa is either gay or clearly bi. Yeah. And Beth is like tactfully saying nothing. And I made note of that. I wrote nothing in all caps, because Beth has always seems to got something to say. Yeah. Right. (laughs) That you know how Beth is. Right. But man, she knows when it's time to just zip her lip (laughs) and sit back. Yeah. And she does. And she does. Um, In the meantime, Kate and Toby come downstairs. Beth is back in the kitchen getting some more things together to take out hors d'oeuvres, whatever part of dinner. Uh, Toby is still breathing pretty heavy. Hmm. Beth is not fooled. She knows what they just did. She points out to Toby, his shirt is buttoned wrong. Right?
1: Yeah. She's got a pretty good sense of humor about it, considering.
0: Yeah, she does. I assume that it that, that there's a guest bedroom. I, yeah, I, I hope so. But there didn't seem to be a handy guest bedroom when they took William in.
1: Right, that's true. That's like, true. Didn't, didn't
0: they like double up the girls or something and put William in one of the girls' rooms?
1: Um, I think it was also partially because of Kevin being there.
0: Right. Like, remember right. How to, they moved Kevin down to the basement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So, but who knows? Anyway, Toby's breathing so heavy as they came down is kind of a foreshadowing too. Like he didn't look good when they came downstairs. Yeah. But we go to this wonderful family Christmas Eve scene where everybody is sharing gifts. They're eating. We see them playing games, laughing. We see them doing karaoke. We're finally- doing karaoke that was was that Rebecca and Kate singing together yes that's so awesome and,
1: and we finally have um we finally have the whole the whole cast really in one room basically right
0: right you see all the joy and there's a little flashback you get the flashback of Rebecca holding young Kate's hand with the twig of green right And Dr. K coming out of surgery successfully Mm -hmm. and kind of being like amazed that he's still alive. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, all this great stuff. And then Toby gets up and collapses over the coffee table Mm -hmm. and you flash to the OR again with Dr. K awakening and recovering from his surgery And then, unfortunately, you flash to the ER with Toby, and he's still being shocked by paddles without an immediate response. Yeah. And the monitor is still rapidly beating as they're applying the paddles. So we are left with that little cliffhanger there. We don't know for sure Toby's gone, although there's people who swear it in the Facebook group there are some people who swear that they hear the
1: monitor go dead at the last second. I don't know. You, you may know,
0: probably- I, I paid attention on my second listen really close. Yeah. You don't hear it. Flatline. Yeah. I do I, not hear him flatline.
1: I do not think that we are supposed to know like yeah. what, what the outcome of that is going to be.
0: Yeah. We don't know. Now, some people feel the odds are really good that Toby is gone because there's a new actor being brought in as an interest for Kate. Right. When we return in January. Yeah. I think my
1: speculation is gonna be that he's gonna be in a coma for a while.
0: Oh, that's so soap opera though.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but I think they're gonna do that. I think he's gonna be in a coma and she's gonna I do actually think that the pregnant storyline is gonna happen. And I think she's also going to be meeting this other guy. So that's, I could be totally wrong. I've guessed way wrong on this show before. Um, yeah. but, but that's kind of my, that's where I feel
0: like they're leading us. God, I hope they don't pull that old coma device out. Cause as soon as you said it, I was like flashing on general hospital and as the world turns and yeah. all those shows my mom used to watch back in the sixties where there was always somebody in a coma. Right. It was like it was the most convenient device ever. Yeah, Plot device. I
1: mean, maybe, maybe not. Maybe he's just gonna be like, maybe he'll be awake, but he's in like some kind of recovery or something. Um, who knows? But yeah. but that's kind of what I thought was gonna happen. Is that? I
0: think what I would like to see happen is and this is pure speculation so if you don't like listening to speculation you're gonna have to fast forward us a little bit what i what i would like i think to see happen is that maybe kate gets has a pregnancy scare Mm. where her period's late whatever she thinks that it's possible that she's pregnant Mm -hmm. but it turns out she's not but it makes her realize If I ever want to get pregnant and have children with him, Mm -hmm. I can't have the gastric bypass because that creates an issue. That's not actually true. It could, though. Couldn't it create an issue if you are so limited and having to take supplements to try to keep your nutrition up? Doesn't that make it? What it's Risky to become so, pregnant.
1: So having been in the room when um, an info talk on this was given and, and her, having heard a woman ask this question um, to a doctor who I think would probably know the answer um, in medical terms.
0: Better well, than me, for sure. <laughs>
1: um, what he said was that um, actually they would encourage her to go ahead with it because Despite all that, it lowers the risk of um, gestational diabetes, which is more of a danger.
0: Ah, oh, that's an interesting view on it.
1: Yeah, so so actually, she she could she could have it and then still have baby. Um, yeah. Although they may still play that plot line because I think most people think exactly what you just said because we all know right. television is not always medically accurate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, right. Television's not. And one physician's opinion isn't always the totally true. opinion They've of all asked- physicians. You know, I'm sure there's right. a lot of different viewpoints on that. Um, Clearly, so- it would be a safer pregnancy than for someone who was in that kind of obese situation. Right. For her to be pregnant now as obese as she is, she would for sh- probably for sure develop gestational oh, diabetes.
1: Almost like pretty much guaranteed.
0: Yeah. And have a whole bunch of other risks all around her current weight, but far better to lose the weight naturally without gastric bypass and then become pregnant. Because now you still have the lowered risk of um, gestational diabetes and all the other risks associated with having been overweight, but without the risk of limited nutrition for the baby. Right. I think at Kate's weight, like
1: every like 10 pounds she would
0: take off would probably
1: lower the risk factor of a pregnancy exponentially. Absolutely.
0: It lowers the risk factor of a lot of things for, you know, every 10% of your body weight that you lose. For sure. So... So, um, yeah. So, uh, Interesting. But all these potential plot lines and we will not know until January tenth.
1: So so can I ask you though, do you think Toby's alive? Is that is that your speculation?
0: No, I think he's dead. You think he's dead? Interesting. Yeah. Because uh, you can't you can't do that cliffhanger and have it always be that the person is alive.
1: Yeah, I mean I did kind of like it doesn't look it doesn't look good that I mean, that that would be the other outcome. I think there's very little chance that, like, it's just going to be the next episode and he's just going to go into surgery and then wake up and everything's going to be normal again. Like, it's going to be some kind of, like, fairly negative outcome.
0: I think so. Even though everyone... And this is the one thing that makes me think that he might survive this, is everyone has pointed out that nothing bad happens on Christmas Eve. Right. And I I think the question is... Whether they were trying to tell us that
1: as as much as that, like, was a beautiful thing to say at the time, that 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 just couldn't possibly be true. Um, right. Or if they're trying to, like, kind of just spin that as the story. Like,
0: I think I could read that either way and we'll only know in hindsight. Right. Right. And it also kind of harkened back to remember in the premiere episode, Jack was saying nothing bad happens on my birthday. Right. Right. Nothing bad ever happens on my birthday. And it did. They lost one of the triplets. Right. So now we are in this current episode saying nothing bad happens on Christmas Eve, which when as soon as I saw Rebecca say it to young Kate. I remember Jack saying nothing bad ever happens on my birthday.
1: Yeah, for and
0: I kinda of think this is where she came up with this, telling Kate, nothing bad happens on Christmas Eve. Yeah. So we may see that dashed to bits if he doesn't survive. Yeah. Yeah. Just like something bad can happen on your birthday, something bad can happen on Christmas Eve. It is very
1: Game of Thrones of them to like introduce us to this pretty beloved character and like by <laughs> episode 10, just whack him.
0: <laughs> well, I know, but it makes, God, do I dare say it? It makes far more interesting TV than if everything keeps happening so predictable and so happy all the way down the line, right? Uh,
1: yeah, it does. It does. But man, yeah. it's rough. Oh, that's just a punch to the
0: heart. I know, <sighs> but that's, that's where we end up. Yep. Yeah. So uh, we're so, all waiting with
1: bated breath for the show to come back.
0: We are, we are. In the meantime, Rachel has published her book, Ta-da! Yeah. I think you get a chance to plug your book a little bit. It's available as a Kindle download at Amazon.com. If yep. you look for what's the name? Uh, the the book is called the face of the business. Um, And you can
1: also get, get there. You can search that on Amazon should be available in whatever country you're in. Um, and you can also get there um, from www.thefaceofthebusiness.com.
0: Perfect. Perfect. So you can go check out Rachel's book. You can check out my book, which is widowed on Amazon. Also available as a Kindle download. And all you have to do is search widowed and look for Joanne Philomena. It will come up. Cool. So gosh, Rachel. Yes. Have an absolutely spectacular holiday. Oh, you as well. As we record this, we're one week away from Christmas. Yeah. And we get to remember that nothing bad happens on Christmas Eve, right? It does. Unless it does, you know. (laughs) I know, I know. Shh, stop that. (laughs) (laughs) And happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah all those things to all of our listeners out there have a splendid holiday. Know that once the holidays are over, we have January 10th to look forward to with the right thing to do. Do we want to speculate on that? What do you think the right thing to do is?
1: Oh gosh. Oh, you know what? I think it's going to be now that you're asking me this question. (gasps) It's yeah. To let Toby go.
0: Oh, God, That's cool. and Kate, and Kate just wanted to know that she, someone to tell her she's doing the right thing.
1: Yeah. And that was going to be like a, a backstory from where they were little about, I don't know, letting a pet go or letting a
0: something go. <laughs> oh, God, Rachel, you're depressing. We have to wrap this up. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> I know I'm the worst. oh gosh so everybody go have fabulous holidays we'll talk to you again in January and remember this is us